This is an AMI podcast. I'm Jyotha Gupta and this is The Pulse. If you love movies, you probably love attending film festivals. It's a way to catch the latest movies and enjoy them with like-minded people. And if the film festival happens to focus on a specific theme, say disability culture, then all the better. The Real Abilities Film Festival has chapters in several cities. The objective is to bring together films and documentaries from all over the world to explore themes of disability and deaf culture. Such festivals provide a platform for some incredible movies and also engage in meaningful conversation and reflection about the state of inclusion of people with disabilities in mainstream film and television. Today we discuss the Real Abilities Film Festival. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to the Pulse on AMI Audio. My name is Jyotha Gupta. I'm the host of the program and over this show and the next one we'll be talking about the Real Abilities Film Festival taking place virtually in Toronto. I want to remind you that this show and other live programming at AMI Audio is being produced from home and hosted from home as we all do our part to practice social distancing. For the latest AMI Audio content dealing with COVID-19, please visit ami.ca/covid19. The 5th annual Real Abilities Film Festival in Toronto kicks off this week from May 20th until the 24th. The festival celebrates disability and deaf cultures through film. It will be going online this year for the first time ever. In the second half of the show, I will be speaking with Cody Bennett one of the filmmakers behind a short documentary called Love Beyond Accessibility. But first, the festival's artistic director Livia Mendelson joins me on the line to discuss this year's event. Livia, welcome back to the Pulse. How are you? I'm hanging in there. How are you doing, Joita? Not bad at all. So today we're talking about the Real Abilities Film Festival. Now for those of us who aren't familiar with it, what exactly is this film festival all about? So this is a film festival that came to us originally from the US. It's it's now been in Toronto for 5 years and it features um deaf and disability culture and filmmakers who have disabilities or who are deaf. Mm-hmm. And I believe that this year it's taking place online. So can you let us know when it's taking place and how we access it online? Absolutely. So we we struggled with thinking about whether we should postpone it or cancel it, uh, but we realized if we put it online and made it as accessible as possible, more people uh, than ever would be able to see and experience these films. Uh, so it's May twentieth to twenty fourth. There will be feature films, shorts. There'll be some panels about arts funding, and um, AMI is actually going to be doing a workshop, which is great. And um, you'll be able to access everything uh, through our website at uh, realabilitystoronto.org. Amazing. Now, one of the things you mentioned that I wanted to pick up on was the fact that many festivals, big and small, have made the decision to either postpone or cancel on account of the pandemic. So it is quite significant that the Real Abilities Film Festival made the decision to put its programming on virtually. 
Why is that decision so important to you? Well, we sat and uh, talked with our jury and our volunteers, and um, we realized that there are some things that we can't do uh, virtually. Um, some things really don't lend themselves as well to virtually. Uh, like live comedy really needs an audience. Dance is better um, with an audience. But that films and panels about films uh, is something that actually could work well online. And um, we were really mindful. We have a lot of um, emerging filmmakers, and we really didn't want them to lose the opportunity to share their work, to get seen by producers, um, and and to kind of network with other filmmakers. We we wanted to make sure that still could happen this year. So um, we decided to try it out and see how it goes online. You're clearly reading my mind because I was about to ask you about real abilities, not just being an opportunity for people to watch and listen to films about disability, but it's also a platform for a lot of filmmakers whose work, I suspect, wouldn't get as much acclaim or as much notice otherwise. Do you think that had you decided not to have the festival at all this year because of COVID-19, that other festivals might have stepped into the breach and picked up the content? Or would these filmmakers and documentary filmmakers who are talking about disability have lost an important avenue or an important platform? I really think, I mean, I think we're getting closer to a world where these stories will find their way, but we're not there yet. Mm. And some of we have always a mix of kind of um, some bigger name films and some first-time filmmakers. We have a mandate for Canadian filmmakers. Um, and those are folks whose work really needs to get out there. Um, so I don't know that they would have found uh, the the right platform. Uh, we also this year had a student filmmaking contest, uh, and we really wanted to be able to um, share the winning film and the, the finalist films. Uh, they're amazing, uh, amazing work from across Canada. And um, we wanted uh, everyone to see their work, especially um, our winner, Aiden Lee. Uh, his film from my side of the spectrum is fantastic. He's a 16-year-old filmmaker from Oakville. And I think mm. we're going to see amazing things from him in the future. And we wanted him to have um, a proper debut. Mm. Well, that sounds like a really interesting film, one that I would really like to watch. But what about some of the other films you're planning to screen as this year's, as part of this year's festival? We have really great films from around the world, um, and um, one of the films I'm really excited about is called Code of the Freaks. Mm. It's actually a film about disability in film, so it looks at the history of portrayals of disabled and deaf folks in film, and um, the filmmakers themselves um, have disabilities. All of the uh, kind of talking heads in the film are actors and filmmakers and critics with disabilities, mm -hmm. so it's a really exciting kind of tale told from within community. Um, there have been some, some looks at this in the past that have really been told by people from outside of communities. So we're really excited about that. And um, Angela Moretta, who um, mm. I think you guys know as well, uh, he is a disabled film critic and um, film professor, uh, Toronto-based. He will be leading a discussion with the filmmakers uh, from that film that looks at the history of representation in film and the future of, of uh, disability and deaf uh, stories in film. So we're really excited about that one. Um, we've got some beautiful films from all over the place, from Iceland, from Russia, um, from the Middle East, from, you know, all over the place. Um, and we're excited to have a really international 
uh, based this year. We've got a beautiful film from Kenya. And one of the themes this year is um, how disability is embedded in culture and how it um, is experienced differently around the world. Mm -hmm. I'm going to cycle back to some of the things you brought up because there's so many interesting themes to explore here. But one of the questions that begs to be asked, and so I'm going to ask it, is when you make the decision to take your film festival online, inevitably the questions pop up we should really try to make this event online as accessible as possible to the disability community. And I'm sure it's something that you've had some yeah. rigorous discussions about. So, Livia, fill us in. What have you guys talked about in terms of making the forum itself accessible? Absolutely. We're really mindful of that. And we're also mindful that not everybody has access to technology. Um, and so there will be there, there may be uh, ways we fall short, but what we've um, committed to doing is having uh, film links with open captioning. Uh, film All the films will have audio description. Um, and then uh, all of the online discussions will have both captioning um, and ASL. And you'll be able to phone in. If you don't have um, uh, access to data or internet, you'll be able to phone in at least to the discussions um, on, on the discussion platform and hear the uh, filmmakers and uh, special guests uh, in conversation and to ask questions. So uh, we want to make sure that we're as accessible as we can be and that um, people for whom technology is not comfortable or for whom there's an access issue to technology itself will still be able to participate. So, you know, one of the things we commonly hear from people when we say to them, try to make your events more accessible is, this is so expensive. I think it's going to be prohibitively expensive. We're a small festival. We can do it. So you mentioned all of these adaptations or all of these accommodations or all of these things that you're putting in place to make the Real Abilities Film Festival inclusive to people with disabilities. Let's talk dollars and cents. Was it prohibitively expensive? No, and it never is. Um, I mean, look, there are always some, some hard costs, um, but I think if people plan with those costs in mind, you know, you have to pay ASL interpreters. Uh, captioning, um, you either have to edit it yourself or you have to pay captioners, and those people deserve pay for their labor. And um, so those are hard costs. But in terms of asking the producers to um, provide audio description, asking them to provide captioning. They already have scripts. They can make captioning. I mean, these are things that, uh, like many things with accessibility, if you plan it in advance, rather than trying to go back and fix it later, it's not uh, that costly. And it is totally doable. And we're really glad. We're part of um, a real access uh, film project with Hot Talks and Inside Out here in Toronto. And um, we're really glad to see both of those festivals, uh, which are larger than ours, uh, really trying to make commitments to have more and more of their content accessible. So we're really happy to see that happening. And we'd love to see more of it. We'd love to see, you know, every film festival uh, be accessible. And um, the thing we always remind producers is that if you want your um, film to later screen on TV, you're going to have to, mm. you know, caption it. Uh, with Netflix, it's going to have to be audio described. So why not do that at the start so that as your film is picking up uh, attention and steam, it's accessible right from the beginning? Well, look, I really want to go back to the theme of this year's film festival, which is uh, trying to look at disability representation internationally. We often think of disability as a local issue. I mean, if I've, in fact, I've been guilty of saying it myself, but mostly it's a municipal issue and people are worried about access to the bus or getting groceries. 
Why was it important for you to step back from that and really take a look at the big picture? Well, I think in previous years, we've really looked at um, kind of Canada and uh, micro communities here and how um, there is existing different communities in Canada. Um, what we are understanding is that the conversation about accessibility really is international. There's amazing work being done all over the world and frankly, in places with fewer resources than we have often in North America. And they're coming up with innovative and amazing stories and solutions that we can learn from. Uh, so we really wanted to highlight that. And also, you know, just as um, each individual's disability experience is different, uh, every culture's experience or experiences are different. Um, and we're really used to hearing stories um, from Canada, from the U.S., more and more from Australia and the U.K. We actually haven't had uh, as many stories get the spotlight from other voices uh, around the world. And, of course, that, that plays into um, issues of, of stories of people who are privileged and, and mm -hmm. often white um, really getting a lot of attention where there are just as many interesting stories uh, from all over the place. In the minute or so that we have left, I'm just going to squeeze in one last question, which is what is the significance of a festival like Real Abilities right now? We talked about the global perspective. I, mean, I wanted to bring it in because we're all dealing with COVID-19, which frankly mm -hmm. is, a, is a worldwide pandemic. So is there another layer of significance that comes into play here when we think about putting on a festival like Real Abilities in the context of a pandemic like this? I mean, I think there are kind of several layers of resonance. There is that sense that we are all actually um, up against similar barriers, and uh, COVID uh, is only complicating that. But I think actually we're also at a really, um, you know, difficult time for people with disabilities um, as COVID affects us uh, disproportionately and as there are lots of issues with medical ethics around the world about whose lives are valued. And at the same time, there's a real opportunity in this in the kind of post-COVID world, um, as uh, as governments and uh, people are looking at the recovery period. Um, what does that look like? And, and if we're if we're kind of renewing and remaking, uh, there's a real kind of creative, disruptive opportunity to actually think about accessibility as we look at new policies, new programs. Uh, so I think it's a moment of real. Um, fear and, and difficulty uh, for disability communities, but also um, at the same time, a, a moment of opportunity. That is a wonderful place to leave it. Livia, thank you very much for being a recurring guest on The Pulse. It's always a pleasure to speak to you. You too, and, and be well and keep well during this time. Thank you. You as well. Stay safe. My second guest today is Cody Bennett, an emerging director and writer based in Toronto. He is the writer and director of Love Beyond Accessibility, a new short documentary that will be screening online this Friday at the 5th Annual Real Abilities Film Festival in Toronto. Cody, thanks so much for being on the program. It's great to have you. Thank you for having me. Cody, one of the things I want to ask you about is very briefly, can you describe the documentary for us? So the documentary was a uh, an attempt to make an as accessible film as possible, inspired by the program Making uh, Accessible Media that was developed at Humber College 
uh, and it was in our second year of film and television program. And basically it focuses on uh, Shandy McDonald and how she's coping with transitioning from being able to see to not and the effects that have caused. And it turned into something that was about uh, mental health, but also exploring the uh, accessible access within that. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's interesting when you watch the documentary is that Shandy herself never actually makes an appearance in the film, but you hear her voice throughout because she was on the phone a lot. Can you tell us about some of the challenges and, dare I say it, even some of the, the learning opportunities in trying to film with someone who had to deal with such acute anxiety? Uh, it was a very unique experience as we just wanted to make sure that Shandy was feeling as comfortable as possible because while we're trying to tell her story, what is important in telling her story is making sure that it's coming from a true and safe place for her. Uh, so we went down to Kingston to meet with her and she wasn't able to. Uh, so what we did was we just like adjusted and adapt and tried to do whatever we could to make sure that she was still being a part of it. Uh, and eventually when she was starting to feel better, uh, we found out a way to get uh, a phone call working. And that actually, we felt, elevated the film because it made her presence uh, more important, I felt, helped tell uh, her story in a more interesting way uh, and how the anxiety was affecting her. That's what I felt, too, when I watched it, that it really did elevate her voice in the film. Take us back to the beginning and talk to us about how and when you conceptualized this particular documentary. Uh, we conceptualized the documentary in 2018, uh, in the early uh, months, around January, February. But at that point, it was the idea of an accessible documentary and how you take a piece of art and try and turn it into an accessible format that might not work. So how would you take a poem and turn it into an ASL poem if there's like multiple voices all happening at the same time? Uh, but our connections there didn't quite turn out. And it was maybe a couple of days before we had to pitch that we were trying to figure out uh, a new subject that would still allow us to do what we were wanting to do, which was experiment and give people uh, more knowledge about uh, accessible media. And my cousin, Shandy, she came to mind because she was getting married and it just seemed like a perfect storm to explore. How are you going to uh, bring access into your life and, uh, and partnership? And how does that affect both people within that? And how do you support someone uh, who's living with a disability? And thus, Love Beyond Accessibility was born. Cody, you know, I haven't been able to stop thinking about the title, Love Beyond Accessibility. What did you mean by that? So by uh, trying to figure out how we were going to market the film, we needed a title. And our producer, Vanessa Tang, threw out Love Beyond Accessibility, and it just clicked for me. It made sense because what it was doing and what it was saying was beyond the access that uh, Shandy's given by the world, uh, whether it be, uh, for example, a movie theater, like I think John might mention in the film, he has to be there and support her and like 
tell her what's going on when there's these quiet moments that aren't explained if the device isn't there for Shandy. So it's about this idea that beyond everything that is going on uh, and giving access to both of them because they both experience the world in a different way, the love still remains and that love help bridges that gap. It goes beyond what the accessibility is there and makes the world more accessible. Had this been a work of fiction, you would have had the latitude as the director or the producer and the writer to tie it up nicely, have a nice happy ending. You know, she gets over her anxiety and they all live happily ever after. But does this sort of bring into focus for you the beauty or the power of the documentary filmmaking process? Because in a sense, the ending is out of your hands. And I walked away thinking, I wish there had been a happy ending, but only to realize that a happy ending wasn't possible. Well, I think uh, when you're just trying to like document life, what you're trying to showcase is truth in some way. And sometimes the there is no like true ending with life. It just keeps going. Uh, and just like John and Shandy, they just keep going and keep working. And it allows you to sort of showcase a moment uh, that we don't really get to see and understand that no matter what, we're going to keep working on things. And it... I think it tell, uh, gives more power to the subject than uh, us as the storyteller, which is important, especially in documentary filmmaking. You know, I was talking to my husband last night and he said, and I, he said, what's on the show tomorrow? I said, well, we're talking about a documentary about a blind woman who deals with a lot of anxiety. And he said, really, you were in a documentary? I had no idea. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so it got me thinking, Cody, that you really tapped into something here, some interesting ideas, some interesting concepts, and also by incorporating things like ASL and integrative description into your work, some new ways of doing documentary filmmaking. Are you hoping to explore all of these ideas and themes in future work? Yeah, one of my life's goals is to be able to merge art with uh, stuff that is actually putting things forward and making a better world. And I feel that the best way to do that is potentially creating more accessible work and focusing on the fact that the creative aspect and output doesn't just stop once you finish the stereotypical end of the film, which is like, post-production and then you ship it off to a third party which you miss out on all the love and creative care that a filmmaker puts into a shot or a soundscape i think it's really important that we continue to focus on how captions and described video will allow for people to invest and engage with the story i've seen a lot of research done on how kinetic typography and color changes the experience that people have with a film and that's integral when you're trying to get a tone across in a scene and you don't have all the inflections that you do with voice or then when you have visuals and you have a luscious scape or a lot of movement or these minute actions and if you you already have a script so you have those beautiful pieces of description that's already created you can have a director tell the story. You could have an actor do the described video. And then it just adds another level uh, of creative output and creates a whole 
experience rather this than this sort of disjointed experience that you get when you watch something on a streaming or on a TV, a broadcast television when the captions of the described video are cold and disconnected. I think it's really important that the creative uh, reservoir sort of is put into the whole film. Cody, it's been wonderful speaking with you. Thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you. That was Cody Bennett, the writer and director of Love Beyond Accessibility, a new short documentary that will be screening online at the 5th Annual Real Abilities Film Festival. There will be two screenings of the film happening this Friday, May 22nd at 7 o'clock p.m. and 7.45 p.m. Eastern Time. Tickets must be registered on their Eventbrite page. And for more information, you can visit realabilities.org forward slash Toronto. If you missed any of my conversation today, you can check out our podcast on your favorite podcast platforms. I just want to say that it's so important and necessary that the Real Abilities Film Festival took the step to go online and produce some of their content virtually rather than canceling the film festival altogether due to COVID-19. It's an opportunity to engage more people and interact with a wider audience and to expand on the themes of accessibility and inclusion in media and in life in a way that wasn't possible before. So kudos to them for doing that. I'd like to remind you to head on over to our show blog page, ami.ca forward slash on the pulse, where we'll have some links for all of the programming that we talked about today, as well as tomorrow when we talk about another feature-length documentary that's going to be part of the Real Abilities Film Festival. You can tune into our conversation about Code of the Freaks. It's going to be really interesting. I want to thank Livia Mendelssohn as well as Cody Bennett for being my guests on the program today. The Pulse is produced by Enrique Delanerol. Sam Robinson is our technical producer. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio, with special thanks to Paula Deneen, technical supervisor. And of course, we would love to hear from you. You can send us your feedback on Twitter, write to at AMI-audio or tweet at AMI-audio and use the hashtag PulseAMI. This has been The Pulse on AMI-audio, and I've been your host, Juwita Gupta. Thanks so much for listening. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.